You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Welcome, everyone, to the Road to Wisdom podcast. Um, Just a little shout out if you're listening and you're enjoying the content to give us a review and subscribe. We're um, we're thrilled that we're building our community so much and um, but every every like and share helps so if you guys can do that it's an easy way to say thank you for the content and keep us going. Uh, today we have Joe Robertson in on the podcast. Joe is a sex therapist and has an incredible TED talk which me and Chloe were just talking about prior to um us recording it's um it's harrowing and enlightening at the same time on porn and what porn is in today's day and age and how our youth is being exposed to it either intentionally or unintentionally and why we as parents really need to have our finger on the pulse with this one so we're really happy to have you in today joe because it's a pretty hairy topic um, not something that's in our realm at all, but something that we definitely want to have the front foot on when the time comes. And so we would love to talk to you about that today. Yeah, it's so good to be here. I'm excited. I've actually never heard someone call it a hairy topic. <laughs> and I feel like that's quite appropriate, actually. <laughs> well, I think that's actually probably I, look. <laughs> Chloe and I were talking earlier today about porn and how, like, when we were young, we were both, you know, watching porn and a little bit like blase about it. But I don't actually remember seeing any hair in porn. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, women don't have hair. <laughs> yeah, which again. <laughs> It's one of those things that like, but often often neither do the men now. Yeah. Which is so weird. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I can't I'm imagine like, being okay. like, attracted to a completely hairless man. <laughs> Pre-pubescent. Anyway. Yeah, pre-pubescent. Um yeah, but I know like I guess since we were young and inquisitive and watching porn out of both interest and I guess probably for educational reasons unwittingly um I know that the porn landscape and scene has changed dramatically when we were talking about having listened to your TED talk and I will link to that in our show notes um the I guess the themes in porn that you describe that are the most consumed content versus like the themes with ours was just really very generic vanilla. (laughs) 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 If if no one can see what I'm doing, it was just a pump station. (laughs) But that was about as gnarly as it got, anything that I had seen anyway. So um, when when I listened to your TED talk, it was like, oh, like it hit really hard just not – not realizing what that content was so and maybe we can start there on like what that landscape looks like now for 
people who are in our situations who don't consume porn and aren't interested in that anymore. Um, yeah, mm. what? where are we at with it? Yeah, great question. And it is it is really helpful as well to reflect back on own experiences, you know, because often when we talk to our kids about porn, if that conversation ever happens, we tend to just draw on our own personal experiences and use that as a guide. But it is so different now, like what you're, what you're highlighting, that we can't just draw on our own personal experiences. We actually won't do a very good job if that's what we're doing. So I think that's a, it's, it's great to just highlight that straight off the bat. Um, the second thing that's coming to mind is just that if anybody has little people in the car, if they're listening to this, they should stop. Good, good. <laughs> so you good should, call. Your, <laughs> so you should put your headphones in or you should save this particular uh, episode till later. So uh, we can't talk about this subject without talking about sexual violence, without talking about um, really quite traumatic um, I would say experiences for a lot of people we can't you can't talk about porn in a really comfortable safe easy way and so I'm just aware that even for people listening if you've yourself experienced some sexual trauma sexual violence this conversation can also be quite overwhelming and please don't listen if it's too much you know I have friends who won't listen to some of the things that I talk about because of their past experiences and I have a lot of respect for that because that's just self-care and it's really good Mm -hmm. um, I do think, however, though, that um, our kids really need us to know about this. Like they really, really need us now to step up in our knowledge, to step up in our awareness and in our conversation skills because they are largely left in the dark with this wild, insane internet world. And we, if we don't engage with them in talking about it, particularly porn, then they're just left to kind of figure it out themselves and that can be really hard for particularly if they're really little and if they've come across something. So, yeah, lots of initial kind of thoughts coming up there for me. Mm. Um, can I just interject there too? Because I, like, I've come from a really gentle, very lucky background where I've not experienced any sexual violence and I've not experienced mm. any trauma in that sense and I feel super uncomfortable with this topic and like so I just want to put it out there that it is going to be really uncomfortable for probably most people too but when and <laughs> and watching your TED talk hits so many very uncomfortable notes because mm. you know <laughs> just yeah the amount of violence the amount of like like violence against women and all of these themes that are used to create sexual content which in re reality are just like harrowing. It makes you feel sick to the core. So, uh, yeah, I'm. It's not a nice. It's not a nice conversation to have, but it is so important because, it, like you said, the internet and the way that we can get, receive, consume information is so easy. It's so like available at our kids' fingertips. Like they can grab your phone at any time and Google anything. So it's, yeah, it's a really important, awful conversation to have, but a really, really important one to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of what's online, you've got quite a spectrum of sexual content and we go right from the um, illegal content. So whether that's child sexual abuse material, um, videos of people being sexually assaulted where it says this is real sexual assault not simulated that kind of thing 
whether it's bestiality content, right down to the other end where some people will say, oh, there's something called ethical porn or there's like porn that's um, porn for women or whatever it is that they, they think. And I say they think because it's largely found in research that ethical porn is still pretty similar to mainstream porn. So there's a wide spectrum there. Um, when people think of porn, they're often thinking about this big chunk in the middle called mainstream porn, which is like what you'll find on a Pornhub or X videos or something, um, one of those top sites. Um, so what you'll find on one of those top sites is you get, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of, um, of videos and um, not of images, just of videos. And that content will largely be violent it'll be violent towards women it will have quite heavy racist stereotypes um littered throughout it will probably be quite homophobic or transphobic uh, and not show consent um be really uh focused on youth so lots of um emphasis on teens being very sexual and desirable uh, which is obviously pretty borderline when you think about it um yeah, so there'll be a lot of content that'll be the opposite of what kind of sex education you're trying to offer your children. Mm -hmm. So it's like a direct conflict. Uh, and then we've got, like I said, this illegal content um, to to one end of the spectrum, which is largely still also available to children. And a lot of parents aren't aware of that, that there'll be the, the legal porn industry, which will be easily accessible, but there'll also be all this illegal content, which the majority of countries don't really do anything about either so when we've got stuff on youtube and stuff on facebook and instagram and all the platforms so um it's no longer just you know you used to be able to be like oh it's just a dvd or it's just a magazine or it's like one piece of content mm -hmm. and now we know that there's content littered all throughout the internet and all throughout media so your child could be on a gaming platform which has chat functionality and someone sends them a photo or a clip through the chat function of the gaming platform. So it's not um, as kind of typical as it used to look in the past, which is why people say to me, like, oh, look, there's no way my kid could access porn. And I'm like, well, where do they access media? <laughs> yeah. and, um, and I could probably show you a wee loophole there. Um, I think that's not a reason to keep technology away from our children I think that's a reason to delay but it's we can't we can't go about this world um protecting them from everything and I just had this conversation with my son last night who's nearly 10 and he said oh why are you letting me do this certain behavior at a school camp and I said he said I know you don't like that I said no I don't but I can't spend my whole life protecting you from doing things I don't want you to do and my job is to help you be the person that I think would be awesome in this world, that you're going to make decisions um, outside of this, what happens in this house. So it's like teaching him that from an early age, that we can't control the environment. I can't control what he's going to see or come across or talk about with friends. I can help prepare him for it. That's my role. And that's all of our roles as parents. Mm. And for someone who has delved so deep into what is out there how do you then translate that into protecting or not not protecting but the arm arm armoring armoring <laughs> arming up our children <laughs> <laughs> just like just you know trying to educate them and I, I mean in this question too 
would be what ages it's appropriate to start these conversations but um and who instigates the conversations too like but you know how do we go about gearing them up and preparing them for things that they can consume yeah accidentally accidentally or Mm. you know intentionally but I don't think our kids are quite there yet but for those who have kids who are there Mm. um yeah it's you know where where do we begin where do we begin yeah okay lots of questions in there yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the yeah yeah always lots of questions the first one that I heard was just you know how do you arm them um to move throughout the world uh, in case they see stuff the first thing is I am a believer in delay like as much as possible delay their um exposure or um engagement on platforms that are high risk so gaming platforms are high risk youtube is beyond high risk it is like like if risk was your next door neighbor's house it's like (laughs) in another country level of risk you know it's like so so risky youtube as a platform Mm -hmm. and so our kids aren't allowed on any on youtube kids on youtube they 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 do a little bit of gaming on a like closed platform where they can't do her don't have chat functionality and it's in a like secure environment it's all the things um all the netflix profiles have got pins on them and they can only access certain content at all times they never have any device in their bedroom they if they're on a laptop doing homework or something the laptop's facing us the sound is on like everything is pretty locked down and um i'm a believer in doing that for as long as possible so anybody who's listening who has a 10-year-old who goes on YouTube sometimes, like, I cannot tell you how much horrendous stuff is on there. Like, it's so bad. And that doesn't mean your child can't be on that platform, but it means they should be in the same room as you. With their, You should be able to see the screen at all times. Mm. You should the, the YouTube app should not be on your smart TV. <laughs> Something that popped out to me when I was listening to your TED Talk was the situation where the, the young girl was on a school bus and somebody yeah. airdropped her um, explicit content. When we're talking about things like accidental exposure, um, you know, even just hanging out the front and an older neighbour is maybe in reach with something inappropriate – if they're exposed, what would be the best way to go about it? I mean, because we were talking about this before, like, you know, and Kashia comes from like a Steiner background where, you know, children are kind of like encapsulated in this innocent kind of state of mind for such a long time and aren't really introduced adult faculties for, you know, for so long. But when, it, when we're talking about like the high potential for accidental exposure, do we, where do, how do, what kind of concepts are safe enough to introduce for accidental exposure if that makes sense yeah so I think from a very early age you can explain to your children that there is um naked or sexual content in the world so you don't have to use the word sex or porn at any point but from when the boys I've got three boys and from when they were four and they started having a few play dates at friends houses I started talking to them about how one day they might see photos they might see a video they might see cartoons of people naked and in in that content those people might be touching each other or they might be touching themselves and it's really really important that they know that that's not made for children and that they tell me or an adult um, wherever they are as soon as possible so that we can help them understand it 
mm-hmm. and make sure that no children, uh, other children see that, see that content. So I started talking about that at four and about that at four. And I think you can, I think it's perfectly fine to do that without saying the word porn. Mm. They don't need to know that it's called porn because otherwise they're just going to rock up to their preschool or their daycare or kindergarten or whatever. Like, yeah, I heard about porn. You know, it's like, <laughs> mum told me. You're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. But I think, but what happens for our kids when, when we've already pre, um, we've already given them information ahead of time is that they are much more prepared. They, and they also know, Oh, this is this thing that mum told me about dad told me about grandma told me about whoever it is. Mm -hmm. This is this thing that they told me about. And I know I can tell them Mm. because kids do it's I'm not a hundred percent sure at what age this happens happens, but they do intuitively pick up over the years that nudity body stuff is a little bit um, naughty. There's lots of ways that they figure that out and some of them, some of that's healthy and some of it isn't, but they learn pretty quickly things that they think mum and dad or mum and mum or whoever's at home will be okay hearing about and not okay hearing about. Mm. And what we want to do is get in with information before they start to intuit that this is something you don't tell parents about Mm. and we want to give them that information really regularly so every time they went on a play date I had that same conversation with them every single time and I we did that for years and still now I will raise it with my with my kids even though they're in their much older years than they were then I'll just still raise it hey remember you know if you ever see anything now they know what sex is so it's different I can say if you ever see anything that looks like sex if you ever somebody ever puts on a movie and there's people having sex on the movie or whatever then you just 100% just come and tell me you're never going to be in trouble it's totally fine I'll just help you understand what you saw Mm. and so getting in there early is really really helpful you don't have to use explicit language for them to know what um what it is when they see it yeah I have a question there um, because, I mean, we live in an area where nudity, especially kids walk like running around on the beach naked is such commonplace. It's not. Yeah. And I mean, you know, women sunbaking topless on our beach, like there will be guys who will go for a run, completely stripped down, run into the water, put their clothes back on and then like jump off the beach. It's not, like I guess it's a, it's a little bit more free range um and yeah and like I guess like I mean my kids all still bath together so they're not and you know me and my husband will go and shower while they're in the bath there's no like big um I think walls around nudity so like I I just my question was around the age that you bring it in because I know like right now I mean maybe my daughter my eldest is when she's in public, she won't just strip off. She wants me to hold a towel around her now. So maybe that's – and it's not something that she was, like, ever taught. It wasn't something that we were like, oh, now yeah. it's time to – but I think she just feels more comfortable doing that, which is nothing that I would ever question. But, yeah, when it comes to then going for play dates, which my kids don't do yet, <laughs> um, bringing in, like, oh, if you see other people – like. How would I word that? So it's like nudity isn't bad. <laughs> We're not yeah. saying that bodies are bad, but when like if you were to see another adult that isn't mum or dad and they had their clothes off, like 
differentiating between the guy at the beach versus the guy doing something inappropriate perhaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the point is that you actually, we like them, we basically want them to tell us everything, don't we? Yeah. Like, we don't mind if it's something funny that they saw, something that they thought was a bit weird, if they saw the naked guy running into the water. That they're not going to raise it with you and unless they note it themselves. Yeah. And anything of note, we want them to raise. Okay. So they, kids intuitively, just like we do, we pick up when something feels a little bit off. Mm-hmm. And so it's that stuff that we want them we want them to bring to us. So I, I also use the word vibe with my kids a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'll constantly be talking, you know, like I'll say to this, like, you know, you get a bit of a weird vibe, like your body starts to feel a bit strange. It feels a bit icky. You're not really sure what's going on. Maybe it's a bit confusing tell me if you ever feel any of those things and Uh, it's exactly the same as for adults like Mm. if we when we see something that feels safe we don't get the ick Mm. and then there'll be somebody else doing it and we get the ick (laughs) like no no something about this feels a bit off and and as it goes on for them so we want them to be able to communicate those things to us oh that was beautifully said thank you uh, (laughs) (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I don't think um yeah I I Kids will, kids will ideally just tell us all the things, like whether they thought it was a bit funny or a bit weird or cool or whatever. And they also are doing, that's really healthy what your daughter's doing there. She's just going with her body. So her body's telling her, this is, I want to be a little bit more private now. And she's intuitively responding to that. And that's really awesome. Mm. And you'll notice that happen more and more and more every year. And interestingly, lots of adults, it starts to happen to them too. They're like, I actually don't what my kids like watching the shower anymore yeah it's okay. like it's transitioned <laughs> and you'll notice you'll notice these things do they just start to shift a little bit and um, the point is that there's great communication the whole way along yeah okay and when you say um like if you when you tell one of your kiddos hey if you see something like let's chat about it and I'll help you understand it what does that conversation actually look like look like for you because what's needed for them to understand that that's a adult thing and that can be harmful. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'll give you like uh, just a real case scenario. Maybe that will be helpful. So um, my son, he was at a playground and there was a covered slide, you know, you can't see inside of it. And I, I was there and everyone was playing and there was a bunch of other families as well. He went down the slide and then he came straight over and he was like, mum, there's heaps of drawings inside the slide and all of these words written all over it. And I said, but he, and he can read. And so I said, oh, what, what are the words? And he said, oh, it's all this stuff about sex and there's all these swear words and it's like penises and there's heaps of things on the slide. And I was like, oh, okay. So first, great. You told me I love it. Awesome. You're comfortable enough. You know, you're not going to get in trouble. He can, he can tell me swear words. There's no weirdness there. Um, and those are all that straight off the bat, he feels safe. That's what we like. That's what we want to see. And so then I go down the slide <laughs> and, um, and it was horrendous. Like it was so, so bad. It was illegal sexual behaviors being written about and drawn on the inside of the slide with a marker, like a permanent marker for any old three, four, five year old to look. Now the little people can't read the words, but they can see the pictures. That was pretty bad. And then the older kids, they can read all the words. And that was really, really bad. So I just 
I'm, I go down and I'm like, oh, wow, that was terrible. There's so much stuff in there that um, just really wasn't appropriate and made me feel a little bit yuck. So I'm not kind of, um, I knew I didn't want to talk about it with him right then, but I wanted to indicate that it wasn't okay for us to keep being on the slide. So I say, let's stay off the slide now. I sent my husband home. We um, live close to the playground to get some cleaning products. And I was like, come and we need to clean the slide down, basically. So he started doing that. And then we just like, let's keep playing. And and the point there is that I don't catastrophize it. Mm -hmm. That often happens. Parents get really freaked out and overwhelmed. And so they make quite a big deal out of something. And it's actually better if you just go chill, change the subject, do something else, whatever, give yourself some time to think. But what are your key messages? What do you really want to do about this? Um, and maybe you want to get advice from someone. You don't need to respond to things in the moment. That's mm-hmm. often a mistake parents make is they freak out and then they're like, I have to have a conversation right now. And they're scared of messing it up and saying the wrong thing. And it'd be much better to just give yourself some time. Mm-hmm. So then later that night, I go in and I just say to him, hey, tell me what you saw. And giving him the opportunity to actually say how he perceived what happened. So I'm not going in with my adult lens, but like, tell me what you saw. And then he says, oh, I saw this picture and this picture and these words. And I then keep going with the questions. Or what do you think that was about? Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, I think it was about sex. And I was like, okay, what do you think it was saying about sex? And the point there is we always want to hear from them. It's what I call listening before lecturing. Mm -hmm. So it's here for about their experience, what's going on in their mind. Because if I had have jumped in with everything, I knew what was going on with those words or images. I actually would have introduced more concepts than he even picked up on. Yeah. So I just hear from him, you know, what does he think? What, what did he think the words were about? And then I said, you know, some of the stuff that I read, it sounded like people were hurting each other and it sounded like they were being really rude about women and girls and that's not okay. Um, and, you know, I explained what some of the words meant, etc. And then I said, do you have any extra questions? And then I said, you know, it's really important with sex that it's really respectful, kind, that everyone feels safe, that it's something that both people want. And so the words and the pictures that you saw weren't showing good, what good sex is. They were showing people being really mean to each other and really awful and that's not what sex should be like. Mm. And then provide opportunity for questions. Do you have any other questions about sex? Blah, blah, blah. And then I, you follow up. So I followed up at least twice more. Um, once a couple of days later and then another time a week later because sometimes for some kids they need time to think and reflect and it prompts questions over time and we want to give them the opportunity to ask those so that would be that's like a case study mm, yeah of yeah. of what it looks like if that's helpful yeah absolutely I think it's a really big thing uh to mention that parents do, like as a parent when my kids come to me with like out of the blue stuff like I do internally combust (laughs) and do like I think it's a really good point to if like your kids come to you with something that you just are completely not expecting and it's something explicit or whatever to take a moment and to Mm. like make sure you process before you go into that conversation because yeah like you said introducing concepts that they would never have gone to would be like 
yeah, you're just going to confuse the matter more and make it worse and bigger and whatever. So, no, that was really good. And that actually leads me on to um, another part of your TED Talk, which I found, which, you know, me and Chloe again discussed before we jumped on with you. Um, But it was when you had a little boy come up to you and say, "Um, I think I like hurting girls. And... When you said that, I was like, oh, my God, like if if my kid came up to me and said that, like, how do you respond? And your response was just so perfect and beautiful. And I think like every parent needs to know that it was like come at it with curiosity because kids aren't inherently bad. and They don't like hurting people. They know what right and wrong is. So when you came at it with curiosity, which was, and why do you think that? Like that response made me relax so much. And I was like, oh my God, let's give more responses to us. (laughs) Arm us up with some tools so we don't fudge this up. (laughs) But yeah, it was um it's it's a really beautiful way to come at it because then you you're allowing the child to then explain further and then obviously it's not as sinister as what those first words come off as um yeah and which then I guess would help your response so mm, yeah Yeah. we've got a lot of um we've got a lot of young people at the moment uh and they use young people kind of as a quite broad term because it depends on what age a child or a teenager started consuming sexual content but we've got a lot of young people who think they're really dysfunctional because they've been aroused to certain types of content and what they don't know is that the body gets aroused to any sexual content it doesn't differentiate between like healthy sex and unhealthy sex it often what the brain does when it sees nudity like explicit nudity the brain communicates to the body, get aroused, this is sexual, get ready to have sex or to be satisfied in whatever way, by yourself or another person. So the brain isn't interpreting a scene and going, oh, no, 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 don't get aroused to that. That's not okay. Oh, yes, 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 get aroused to this. This is all right. Mm -hmm. What that means is that children or teenagers, they see content that they know to be sexually violent, that they believe is aggressive and not okay, but they feel aroused anyway so it's very very confusing for them they might even see illegal content with underage people or with animals or with something and feel aroused because that's what the brain is telling their body to do and then they feel like something is inherently wrong with them I'll hear so many people say that I'm broken I'm disgusting nobody would want to know this about me there must be something wrong with me and there's so much shame that is sitting with our children and teenagers now because they don't know that they're not in control of that response. They didn't choose arousal. It happens to the body. And so once they know that actually you're totally normal, it's totally okay, there's nothing wrong with you for being aroused to sexual content. That's just what the body does. Then they know, okay, that doesn't mean I actually want that thing. That doesn't mean that I desire hurting people. That doesn't mean X, Y, Z. They need... um, they, that's why they need to talk to adults about it. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. Otherwise they're left blind, wandering, thinking that they're broken and dysfunctional and how awful of that is a feeling for, you know, an 11-year-old. Like that's terrible. So, yeah, there's why the conversations are needed. Do you see, like, I mean, what is the youngest age that you've seen, like, be exposed to this content? And, I mean, I've, I've heard stories of 10-year-olds being porn, like having porn addictions 
but I, you know, I, I didn't ask questions further than that. So what are the ages that you're seeing in this category? Yeah, I mean, you think um, any age that a child is on a device where there's um, what we call user-generated content, so where somebody else can upload content or they can communicate with another person, that is a platform where they can access porn. So I did know a... Um, I was speaking at a university once and the lecturer came up to me afterwards and she said her five-year-old had just come across porn because of a, um, she was watching a show, then, no, she was playing a game. She was playing a game and then an ad came up and she clicked on the ad. And so it's like a Candy Crush type game, but an ad popped up. And that's because most ads that are free, if you download them, they'll have ads. Ads that you pay for usually don't have ads. And that's one of about five cases I know of where a primary school or a, or like a five to seven year old um, child has seen porn through an ad through a free game, free game. So that would be that. That's what's happening down that end. And then yeah, you've got your average age now that um, a child, young person will see porn is twelve. And for a child who you think maybe um, LGBTQI is age ten. That's when they most commonly see content. Um, and so you've got about 50% of people before 12, <laughs> you know, like if you think about the, the spectrum. Yeah. So why why would, yeah, um, our LGBT Yeah. So often community. <laughs> they're asking, yeah, yeah, often they're just starting to ask questions about their body, their attraction, um, who they are, how they identify, um, and they – do that by searching online. So they ask those questions because of searching and because they're trying to figure out they are and what they like, what they're attracted to, etc. I mean, I know that all of my kids are very well aware, well, well aware of crushes. And if they were, for example, in a family where they didn't feel they could talk about if they had a crush on the same sex, then they might, and they had free access to a device, then they might start searching for the reasons for that online. Mm-hmm. Mm, wow so in your TED talk you obviously talk about the 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 genre and the styles of porn that are the most popular and I had no idea that they were so violent and so incestual like a lot of the themes are Mm. like daddy fucks daughter and you know like a lot of that I had no idea that that was such a I mean it's pretty obvious that if someone as a child is watching that, then they can feel like that is a normal thing to kind of do. I think it would be quite dramatic, traumatic for a child to, I don't know, stumble across something I mean, like that. I mean, my question really is rooted in like, why is this happening? Like, and you've mentioned that like millions and millions and millions of people will view this content daily. and yeah, daily. And, um, you know, like the more violent or aggressive or in a, you know, like incestual or, you know, in- illegal almost the, it's like the more popular it is. Like, why is this happening? Like, why do you, I know this is a loaded, massive question, but why are we seeing human beings and young children, be like into watching this yeah there's lots of schools of thought there I mean no one has a has a definite answer so some of the some of the thoughts are um 
uh, that there's still one would be that there's still quite a heavy internalized patriarchy. So we'd know that the majority of consumers of porn are men and also the majority of producers of porn are men. So directors, people who create scenes, etc. And so some feminist scholars would say there is still such a, a heavy patriarchy that they ha- can't outwork in the same way in real life. So they outwork it in their sexual fantasy. So there's that. So there's like the sex, um, like people still want power, they still want control, and they do that. They they get to explore that through porn. Another argument is um, a lot of people in our communities experience sexual trauma. And we don't, we haven't really seen changes in that data, whether it's Australia or New Zealand or America, the change, there isn't really much change in, in those pieces of data for many, many years. And so where you've got a community which still has such high rates of sexual trauma, people um, do lots of different things with that. They potentially create content to help them make sense of what's happened to them. They watch content to help them make sense of what's happened to them. They um, want to control kind of their own trauma, their experience, and therefore they do it by replicating the same scenarios. There's kind of that. And then we've got another piece, which is porn goes further than whatever mainstream media does. So where mainstream media, for example, Game of Thrones has ancestral themes, a lot of sexual violence, then porn will go, oh, going to like ramp it up a little bit. Mm. And then the porn industry has done, this is self-proclaimed, like this is the industry themselves have said this forever. They've done what's called A-B testing, which is just like, let's put two scenes in front of a consumer, a more um, vanilla type scene and then a more aggressive scene. And let's see which one gets more hits. And always the more aggressive scene seems to get, seems to get more hits. What, what happens, unfortunately, is that you, somebody can click on a scene and then unclick off, like leave it within about 10 seconds. But it sends a pretty strong signal that people like clicking on that content. Mm. And then our children and young people are still, they're the recipients of what adults consume. So if you're 11 and it's the first time you've landed on Pornhub, you're the recipient of what everybody in your geographical area consumes. Mm. So that 11-year-old didn't choose what's on their homepage. The algorithm is designed for that, really the adults in their community. So lots of people will say, you know, adults, we have created this problem, so we really need to address it. Mm. And, yeah, what is it in all of us that's still wanting to see power, dominance, um, the submission of women, and I shouldn't say what is it in all of us, what is it in people who are consuming porn mm. who are still consistently clicking on those types of content and being aroused to it? Mm. I think there's a real lack of um, critical thinking. In so, everything. <laughs> in everything, yes. <clears throat> but I, like I, for example, I um, worked with a group of university age students age students once so they were yeah between 18 and 22 and I said you know when you click on a scene and you watch a scene um there's a various sexual acts in it but it's about a brother and a sister and he's sexually abusing her what that signals to the industry is that you want to see more of that content and they'd literally never thought about it like it had never crossed their mind that that's really what they were consuming and then that's what they were communicating back to the industry that they wanted more of. 
So we build critical thinking, we know, with kids from a very, very early age. We build it when they see ads, we build it when they look at billboards, we build critical thinking when they watch Paw Patrol. And so the more we can do that with the immediate with the media they consume prior to watching porn, the better they'll be at it when they actually get there. Mm, I mean, I guess what really like the the thing that really gets me is the replication of the material that they're watching. So if little boys are watching, you know, like the top the genre that you just explained, brother and sister, or um, a man being very aggressive and you know, like rape. And he thinks yeah. this little boy thinks that that's normal and mimics that or replicates that behavior in real life. I mean, is that where do you think like it's a lot of I mean, real time abuse is coming from? Little boys probably not going to, but not when little, they, they I get mean, the like, idea they get that the when idea, they're old, oh, women like what, that, like yeah, I'm yeah. aroused by this. Like let's say, or let's say like she's a, aroused by it because yeah, that's what they're seeing. Like she you know? likes that. Yeah. She wants that. I mean, do you think that like I mean, how much? of these real-time problems of, you know, sexual assault um, and child abuse is coming from this type of pro- this problem that we've got with porn and exposure, exposure to it from a young age or any age. Yeah. I mean, we know now based on the research that teenagers particularly use porn to learn about how to have sex. They use it as a template for what to do in future relationships. Then they try things out, relationships, and sometimes goes well, a lot of the times it doesn't. We know based in in the research that um, people who can consume higher rates of porn are more likely to be dismissive of consent, to be accepting of violence, of aggression, of pain during sex to think that men should be dominant and women should be weak or submissive. We know that porn is exacerbating problems that have always been there, but it's exacerbating them. And we're, I'm really worried about that. You know, mm. I think even this should propel us to have to do really, really good sex education, whether that's at school or at home, mm. it has to happen somewhere. And so it, we we can't, we need to talk about porn because we need to help them un- understand what they've seen and unpack it. But then we also have to give them an alternative model mm. of sex. And in order to do that, we need to talk about things like pleasure, we need to talk about kindness, respect, communication, not just condoms and STIs. Mm. And so we really, really have to explain to them what healthy sex would look like, that it's really important both people have, are aroused and have a good time, that both people have the opportunity to climax if that's what they want. You know, like those are, you don't, you're not necessarily going to tell your 10 year old that, but by the time they're in adolescence and they are making decisions about their sexuality, then they really need a lot of information about what good good sex could look like because they've already got a lot of information about what unhealthy sex looks like based on what they're seeing online. And whether they want to or not, they're going to come across porn. They don't have to choose it for themselves. Someone will put it in front of their face and show it to them. So they're already going to get exposed. We just, we can accept that. In the ideal world, we unpack it and we've given them an aspirational alternative of healthy sex. And how, like, have you got resources for that? And also what age would we expose our children to those resources? (laughs) Because, like, I mean, now I'm going to overshare, but, like, my husband and I practice Tao and 
it's like, I mean, and we found like Tantra way, way, way down the track, but like that is a model of like pleasure and it, it's, you know, it's looking at not even just the physical body, like you're trying to, you know, you're connecting on a emotional level, spiritual level and then physical and like and that it's all wrapped into one and it's an experience rather than, you know, it's really, it makes, it, you know, intimacy is such a beautiful thing and that's what we want all of our children to experience and that it's not, it's not just bumping uglies and you know and and getting off like there's there's so much more to it and then obviously like when it comes to pleasure it's not just about your genitals like your whole body can Mm -hmm. be a like a source of pleasure so when like when we're discussing that like I mean I guess themes of even even just like your body is sacred and we treat other people's bodies like they're sacred like when can you start introducing that and then I guess it just because you kind of want to be in front of any exposure to the nasty stuff like you want to kind of get in with the really good beautiful opening connection yeah. intimacy that kind of thing so yeah when can I mean I, I guess like some of the stuff is we can just model that in front of our children and show them what a beautiful relationship looks like mm. obviously not sex but <laughs> just <laughs> not endorsing sex in front of your children but like when you know when you're at home with each other mum and dad they like hug each other they give each other kisses on the cheek there's always like some form of connection like and that's what a relationship should be and then you move on to the next things but yeah when when can we start like planting those seeds and um yeah introducing just so that we're one foot ahead of yeah yeah Always want to be ahead of porn. Yeah, so um, my general go-to is that you, by age eight, kids should know. So you're around four, you're starting to talk to them around about images, videos, cartoons, etc. So you're doing that spiel that I said at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then by eight, they really want to know about conception. Um, and I think, no, sorry, conception is happening much earlier. So that's when kids start asking what, how babies are made mm. so you don't have to talk about you don't have to talk about penises and vaginas or genitals but you can explain how babies are made but by eight they really do need to understand intercourse and I'm using the word intercourse really specifically as opposed to sex because sex is way more than intercourse mm-hmm. um but ideally they understand what intercourse is uh, and and puberty so those two things should ideally happen around age eight and then I think any conversation about porn definitely needs to happen by 10 so 10 is your kind of like max if you've got wow, a, it seems a girl so it seems so early I know. because yeah my daughter's nearly eight and I couldn't imagine she, her. our conversation <laughs> right and our conversations talks about like, fit. My, I mean my daughter's gonna be eight early next year and so are yours yeah. and I think like my daughter's still talking about fairies yeah, and yeah, like, the tooth fairy was still like Santa strong <laughs> and like and also like That's she's fine and That's she's good. been present at birth so she knows where babies come from and how they get out but like yeah. she's mm. like that how how they get in is my kids think that they're child. in daddy's balls. <laughs> oh, really? Well, that's more than like the star child mm. coming down, and <laughs> and it's then very and it's, and the star child comes because mum and dad love each other so much that the star yeah. baby. Comes. 
Um, so, you know, it's really, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, Cause we're Steiner, like if you've okay. seen the Waldorf birthday book, this, like it's a star child and it's a soul and then the soul chooses You've got the parents. work ahead of you, girlfriend. Oh, man, these conversations are going to be huge. You're on a journey. Yeah. You're on, on a journey. journey. Yeah. But then also yeah. my kids don't have exposure to – like they don't – Mm, yeah. it's very controlled screen because going to a Steiner school is like there's no technology on the campus so um we also have that we don't have a tv in the house they've got an ipad that is extremely strongly controlled and and like the stories that they're exposed to are <laughs> really little so when you speak about delaying things I feel like I've nailed it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's good. It's really good. But yeah, just yeah, and I do think, yeah, I think children need the opportunity to be children. Mm. And as much as possible, yeah, we keep technology out of their lives and we keep, you know, big adult concepts kind of quite simple for them because they are concrete. They actually are still very concrete thinkers. Um, And so, again, like there's stuff that's not going to work for their brain to talk about until they're a teenager yeah and so I find it hard personally because I have to use quite concrete language with them which is not how I would describe something to an adult in a much more abstract nuanced kind of beautiful way but they're concrete thinkers and then they slowly become more abstract that's just the way that their brains work and so I am we go with where they're at at the moment which is why we just give baseline information and then layers and layers and layers on that every year as they grow up um so, you know, we, we all know, for example, that teenagers have sex, but we don't need to communicate that to a nine-year-old. Mm. So we say this is something that adults do when they choose to, and they do it because it feels nice for their body, because it gives them pleasure or it makes them happy, sometimes because they want to have a baby, because they really care about the person. So we, we, we couch it in a way that's aspirational, where we want them to be heading. We know that, like, we know that lots of sex doesn't happen that way, mm. but that's fine. We can explain that to them when they're older. I have a, um, I have a course coming out, an online course, which goes through actually 19 different topics. <laughs> a lot of topics. But, <laughs> um, that's coming out in about a month. So I don't know when you're releasing this episode, but um, that's going to be trickychatsparenting.com. Mm, it'll be around the same time. Out. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm. So, yeah, in, in that we're going to cover how do you talk about porn, how do you talk about intercourse, um, how do you talk about puberty for boys and girls. Um, I'll use, I'll have some resources in there and books for families that have more diverse representation and want more inclusive guides. Mm. We'll talk about stranger danger, online exploitation. There are many things to be covered. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But And that's such a good resource because I really do feel that it's important for parents to be doing most of this education too. Like, I, like you yes. said, like the education systems are not covering anything but like and what you said before is exactly my experience. It's STDs, it's contraception and it's like how babies are made. So don't do that kind of mm. like that was Yeah, it. totally. And then, yeah. yeah. There certainly doesn't seem to be a good middle ground. It's either like leave really explicit books in the kids section at, at the shopping <laughs> centre or wait for someone at school to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's got to be a way. Yeah. Um, so good. Thank mm. you. <laughs> we need resources. <laughs> That's okay. I am a big, big advocate of parents doing this work themselves. 
And I, I think that's great if schools, you know, are, are doing it for the families who won't. But I, in my, in my ideal world, like I'm, I'm the expert and Dave, my husband, is the expert that my kids come to yeah. when they need help with something, when they've, you know, get a wet dream or get a whatever. Um, I want to have created a culture in the home where all of those things are really um embrace like they're comfortable they're okay I was just joking with my son last night about when he gets his first pubic hairs and how fun that's going to be and like <laughs> and I I I said you don't have to show me but I would really love to know because I'd be really excited for you and, uh, <laughs> that's actually pretty cute yeah <laughs> yeah but he like that's the culture we're trying to build and that's what yeah. I really want parents to be able to do and and that culture is built from birth mm-hmm. you know it's the idea of this one conversation that happens when they're 12 or something is so problematic because it makes it deeply awkward, uncomfortable. It's not embedded in an environment of safety and fun and, um, and dialogue. It's mm. really more of like a lecture mm. <laughs> and it doesn't provide space for questions and curiosity and going back and forth about ideas about what relationships should look like, what sex should look like, etc. I would say like you guys are, you know, you're in the getting ready mode for having these conversations. And that is probably the scariest time. I, I do think it's way scarier. The anticipation is scarier mm-hmm. than the experience itself. Mm. And it's so fun, like just to offer hope for people. It's so, so fun when you've already had those, what I call tricky chats with your kids. And then you get to just explore this whole world of conversation, knowing that's done. So now when something comes up on the news that's I typically wouldn't have wanted them to hear before, now I'm like, oh, good, because we can just talk about that. Mm, yeah. It's an opportunity, a window to connect and talk about it. Yeah, I feel way more free in my parenting now that I've had all those conversations than I did prior when I was trying to kind of keep them yeah, not protected, but keep it at age, appro- age appropriate. Yeah. And now, like with my oldest particularly, that everything's been covered. I'm like, this is just fun now. Now we just get to have all types of conversations and there's no boundaries on those conversations. There's yeah. no feeling of like, oh, you're, this is too young for you. It's, it's, we just go for it. And that's really, um, mm. it's really exciting. Can I ask Joe, what are the ages of your children? So I've got a, um, just when when this comes out, it'll be six, eight, ten. Okay, all right, cool. Wow, and all We're boys not too far behind. <laughs> yeah, all boys. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're totally not too far behind. The 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 piece is just the um is just having those conversations. So yeah. it's like some people have, do wait until those are thirteen. Others do that mm. when they're six. You know, but I um for me, I just use the research to guide me. And now that those conversations have been had with my oldest, two oldest, I'm like, this is awesome now. Yeah. Now we just get to talk about everything. I feel like I'm looking forward to that because I feel like the conversations now are like in the protective realm of like protecting them yeah. from sexual harm or like anything inappropriate. And it's freaking stressful. I'm always like, okay, you know, your body's this and this is this and this is this. And I just want it to yes. be like okay, they know that for sure and I know they're good and I've got this. Let's talk about something fun now because it's all yeah. about like protecting <laughs> them and making sure they're safe. and They don't get into situations. And they don't even really get it too. They're like, yeah, I know that's my vagina. Like, stop <laughs> telling me. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> You've told me so many times. I know. And I've got three daughters, so I'm kind of like on the opposite to you. Oh, that's so, so funny. Yeah, it's all about keeping their vaginas safe. I'm like, this is getting, I just want to talk about something fun. I know. Oh, oh yes. My um, oldest is going to camp, school camp. And that is, uh, I used to do, I used to be a trauma counselor with children who'd experienced sexual trauma. So for me, there's lots of these things are like quite terrifying, not and never ever to the point where he wouldn't be allowed to go, mm. but they're just, I have to manage a lot of my own personal anxiety. Yeah, I, yeah, I could imagine. <laughs> and I'm like, oh gosh. Oh. So we had lots of chats. Just last night we had another big, big conversation about safety. Mm. and um yeah where to go if you feel unsafe etc the vibes yeah the icky vibes <laughs> I think that's a really that's gonna I'm putting that one in my toolbox for icky vibes because it's not it's not even just in terms of like you know being in an unsafe situation in in just like, anything yeah it's it's building their intuition yeah. and getting them to trust that like instinct so um yeah, I'm. I'm definitely going to keep that one for the toolbox. Mm. Good, good. Yeah, gosh, there's a lot to unpack, and I'm sure we'll have a totally different set of questions in the next couple, couple of years. years. Yeah, Joe, we're going to need you back. <laughs> <laughs> How are you handling this? Well, we'll have the resources. Yeah. Then. Oh, oh yes, we mm. will. We'll have your resource guide. Um, <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Joe. Where can our listeners find you if they want to learn more? So I do a lot on Instagram. Um, I'm there just as sex therapist Joe. And then I'll have this um, site up soon, trickytrapsparenting.com. And I I have my own website that's largely for therapy, which is joerobertson.org. Perfect. Well, um, if you send them through to me too, I'll add those links because, yeah, that will be live by the time this comes out. So cool. um, I can put put those links on our, our show notes. Cool. Awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I've definitely got a lot to think about. Yeah, no, but, and, <laughs> but also thank you for the tools because it is – it's – like knowing how to navigate these things and like knowing how to just, I guess, behave as the parent and be like a, you know, a strong, steady, capable person that your kids can come to with anything and just, you know, you're not going to react. You're going to, you can take it in and be like, Mm -hmm. okay, and how did you feel about that? How did that make Mm -hmm. you feel? And you can take it yeah from their perspective and how they've interpreted the situation I think is a really really good take home for this so but also just the importance of making it a priority because we don't want our kids looking at that and and thinking that that's normal like it's the worst thing to think that that's normal I'm going to just go replicate that out in the world and you know that's we do not want our kids getting into those positions ever no yeah yeah no, that was, um, yeah, no, happy to come on again and talk it all through. I know it's really overwhelming. I, I find typically people leave a conversation like this and they're like, oh gosh, <laughs> like it's a, they're like, it's a lot to, I think it feels really crucial for people. They want to get it right. Yeah. And there's a fear around getting it wrong mm. and that they'll say the wrong thing, that they'll respond the wrong way and then they'll kind of mess it up. 
mm. now might be like that's the opportunity I actually, I actually so, just had the rem- the memory of why I mean I, I know that person dropped Joe in our um inbox but I remember recently there was the, a massive argument in our country I'm not sure if it hit New Zealand um over some books that were published and put in like oh. the children's section I can't remember the author she's I think from yeah Melbourne, yeah Sydney. welcome to six exactly yeah. and it's like a super graphic book and so everyone was like this is insane I can't believe like some of these graphics are being offered to children and we were like yeah I wonder like I wonder what is is because they were saying eight's the perfect age for, for children to be reading this book but the book was like very graphic and had some really adult themes yeah, no, positions and so we were no. like let's talk about this like is that a, is that actually appropriate because you know the world's really different to what it what it was when we were eight-year-olds and so maybe that is a thing like maybe we're not progressing fast enough or we're not we've got this wrong no but um I feel like you're shaking your head Joan that's that was <laughs> that's a no <laughs> it's a no <laughs> it's not okay. appropriate no it's a it's 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 a resource for teenagers and it's going to be a resource for teenagers who really want, you know, explicit information, which is totally fine. Um, but it's not for eight-year-olds. It doesn't actually say eight in the book. It says teens. Okay. But oh, I think okay. there was an interview. There was an yes. interview that was done where someone said around age eight. Yeah. And my assumption, like just hearing those, having got the book and hearing that, piece of information is my guess is that people were saying it's good to start talking about sex around age eight that okay. this book is not, not appropriate for eight-year-olds yeah and it doesn't say that in the book anywhere got it okay good yeah. to know <laughs> people were getting <laughs> very upset about that book and they were just just yeah they were, everyone was making yes. I feel that's like more resource for adults yeah. who have been together for so long and I need to even spice things up <laughs> When sex life gets boring, go to the kids section. Yeah, yeah. Go to the kids section. I do think I I did I I was I would not like it if that was just hanging out in the kids section at our local bookstore. And um that would upset me. Not because I don't think we should be talking about we shouldn't be talking about sex. I'm really into parents talking to their kids about sex. But um I think that parents should probably be in control of that narrative yeah 100%. And not an external book resource yeah 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 I'm glad we actually we um touched on that because I completely forgot about it <laughs> thanks for your opinion yeah. Joe. <laughs> yeah you there validated me books. again I have a, um, <laughs> that's okay <laughs> but I have a book list um a recommended book list on my website on the joerobertson.org and it's just um, all of my favourite books for the various topics. And so if people want that, Mm. they can jump on there because it's really hard to just like you go on Amazon or and Mm. you're searching and you're like, I don't know, which one should I buy? And I could spend like $300 buying all the books and I wouldn't know which one. Yeah. (laughs) So I did that. Perfect. (laughs) I'm glad you did. (laughs) Amazing. Again, Joe, thank you so, so much for coming on. This has been a really informative chat and we've really enjoyed speaking to you and we look forward to speaking to you in the future. (laughs) Next month when we've got another question. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast 
www.mentalwisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.